I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome into the Itchy Touch World Podcast. Tom Hackett, Steve Bartle, with you guys as we are every single week. Steve Bartle, you can find him at sbartle247uturn.com, myself at Tom Kant Hackett, or at Kersasports.com. Nate Wade Subaru is and will continue to be our sponsor. We love and appreciate all of their kindness and hard work uh, to creating better communities throughout. Uh, Salt Lake City. I was going to say uh, Subaru is around America, but Nate Wade Subaru in particular is Salt Lake <laughs> City, so we like them. Uh, here's the deal. Steve's down in St. George on a golf trip. He didn't say anything to me, so I'm just we're, – we're intruding his golf trip, I guess. Oh, I no. I do apologize, but you played this morning. Uh, come on, give us, the, give us the, the commentary, the live commentary. How did we fare and where did we play? We uh, we did not fare well uh, this morning. Um, we played Southgate, which, you know, it was a nice little trek. It was nice to get out early in the morning. We just got down here last night. Uh, we'll be we'll be playing the ledges. We'll be playing Sand Hollow while we're down here. Uh, so, man, it, it'll be fun. Uh, my buddies, Christian, Tanner, Tanner, Alex, a um, couple other guys, I think, were supposed to come as well. But Brownie was supposed to brown bear. Brian was supposed to come. Yeah, Brian was supposed to come down, but he uh, he had uh, he had something uh, he had an issue of sorts uh, to say the least. So uh, we'll let we'll excuse him and hope for the best for Brownie. But nothing serious, <laughs> though, is it with Brownie? Yeah, no, 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 no. It, it's not super serious. But I mean, if 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 I were to tell you what it was, you know, you would. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it's uh, it's it can be it's pretty a, ugly. Yeah, it's okay, a hairy. Yeah. It's an ugly situation. Okay, well, look, we, we hope Brownie's okay. Uh, and to the Tanner, Tanner and Christian that are with you. We, by the way, some of the more American names you could, uh, you could choose mm-hmm. from, which is great. Red, white and blue, baby. It's where we live. And uh, we love them as well. Tanner, Tanner and Christian. Tanner, I love the name. I love all the names. I love them. I love Brownie the most, though. I'm sorry, Tanner, yeah. Tanner and Christian. I love Brownie the most. But uh, be well, Brownie, and uh, swing better, <laughs> Steve. That's, I guess... The theme Gonna need of to. today. Gonna need to. <laughs> yeah, down 300 bills already uh, because of that missed <laughs> putt on 18. Dang it. Ask Tony Finau how that feels, although he's fighting for $2 million. He, tre- he three-putted over the weekend uh, to begin his open campaign and uh, ended up even par. Must be nice. Anyway, we're, we're, we're getting off track. Uh, we, we, we got a pretty busy show. Actually, there's a, there's a fair bit to get to. And considering you're down in St. George and didn't tell us, Steve, we will try our very best to get through all of it as swiftly as 
possible. Um, let's start with the hottest news of the week, and that is a pair of signees uh, committed to Utah yesterday, which would have been Thursday, Friday, July 16th. Steve, the floor is yours, my friend. Educate our listeners. What, uh, what went down yesterday and uh, what to expect in the future? Yeah, so couple of a uh, couple of commits in the Utah and Utah's 2022 class happened yesterday and if you were following along if you follow me on Twitter if you're at Utah you 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 know you've got plenty of content to read um, about those two guys so uh, early in the morning uh, a Darius Hershaw or Harshaw out of Georgia Cherokee High School in Georgia uh, announced his commitment to the University of Utah he's a high level three-star athlete um, he's he's a wide receiver. He's the 69th ranked wide receiver in the class, and so that's you know, that's a pretty solid pretty solid kid for Chad Bumpfist and that offensive staff to to nab out of the out of the South out of Georgia. So this is a kid that's got you know tremendous speed, tremendous athleticism overall. Runs a four five five. He's got some track times, some really impressive track times as well. This is a kid where he's He's a long, you know, he's of the same type of game, same type of athleticism and skill set as, as a Jalen Dixon, a little bit, a little bit taller at 5'10", 5'11", than Dixon. And so, you know, that's, that's always encouraging, but this is definitely a kid where you turn on the tape and it's very easy to see his athleticism come through. So, you know, Chad Bumpfist gets another kid, another wide receiver, in this class. And, you know, he's off to a, a pretty impressive start, you know, as a, as the full-time receiver coach uh, for the university of Utah, this is the second receiver that they've added to the class. Harsha joins Zion Steptoe, who, you know, was, who created a lot of buzz, you know, while he was on his official visit last month, um, you know, tweeted out a video of him during the photo shoot and, you know, you fans loved it up. And so, uh, you know, he, Bumpfist has has added a couple kids now that bring some some talent to the program, and so that's that's always exciting, right? So that was that was earlier in the day, and then later on, you know, later on in the in the evening time, uh, Jeffrey Ugo, a safety out of the out of uh, out of Texas, announced his commitment to the University of Utah as well. This is a kid; he's six one, hundred eighty pounds, a big hitter. I think when you watch his film, that's the first thing. That's probably the the biggest thing that you'll take away is that, you know, this guy, he's not afraid to come downhill, not afraid to hit. He'll mix it up with, you know, offensive linemen and and blow things up that way. So this is a kid. He's, he's a violent kid. And that's something that Morgan Scali, this defense, they always like, you know, in those safeties. So he's a, he's another good athlete. Runs about a, an 11 second, 100 meter time, which is pretty good for the safety position. So he's got some athleticism, and this is a kid that's just starting to come into his come into his own as as a prospect. Um, I think he's kind of poised for a good senior season, and that'll continue to parlay, you know, into his recruitment, and you know, will continue to uh, to see more interest because I, I don't think he was um, on the radar of a lot of programs. But the good thing is, is that Utah get, got in on him early and they've got his commitment and Morgan Scally has done a tremendous job of building that relationship and identifying him before anybody else did. So pretty good job. And, 
you know, anytime you add a commitment to the class, it's always an exciting day. It's always a great day. And Utah added two of them yesterday. So it was a really, really fun day, a really exciting day. And just, uh, you know, Utah has added some, has added two really good talents to their 2022 class. That's awesome. That's really cool. A couple of things to take away from me anyway, Steve, the impact Chad Bumpus has had on the program almost immediately um, has been tenfold. And that's got, you know, take nothing away from Guy Holiday, who I respected and admired as a coach. I just thought the hire of uh, Chad Bumpus was savvy. I thought it was smooth. And, um, and they bring in, they brought in a younger coach uh, that could connect with younger players. Um, and in my world, that's important. And I think what Utah fans are now seeing, I think what Carl Whittingham and the Utah program are also uh, witnessing is uh, the impact he's having on uh, on this crop of, of recruits. Um, they want to come play for somebody like that. They want to be, you know, players often want an assistant coach or a, or a position coach that they can they can talk to about a number of different areas of, of life about. Uh, I think personally, that's one of the reasons Coach Shaw is uh, as talented of a coach as he as he is. I, I remember playing golf with Coach Shaw quickly. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. And he got a phone call on like the second or third hole. And it was one of his players telling him that the, that their girlfriend was going in to deliver their baby. And the way Coach Shaw responded and reacted and spoke to this, this player uh, was unique. And it was really cool to witness, to be honest, uh, because uh, it, goes, it goes a long way. Um, and there are some coaches out there that I personally believe have a hard time with that. Um, and that's, I guess, nothing against them. It's just not the way they were, they were the, their personalities fit. Uh, they, you can still be a successful coach. You don't have to be. Carl Whittingham is not that sort of way. Uh, but look, I think with this generation, long story short, I think it certainly helps. Um, Carl Whittingham's in a position where he doesn't need to be that sort of coach. Um, but his assistants probably do. And so... Uh, congratulations to Bumpers, not only on the most, most recent success uh, w- with, uh, with that, that signing out of Georgia, but, but really his entire career thus far, the short career that it is, he's been impactful uh, in more ways than one. So that's cool to see, and that's a good trend for Utah to have because the wide receiver room, Steve, has typically been um, a, a room filled with talent that hasn't quite been utilised, in my opinion anyway, as well as it should have been. And then Scally doing his thing in Texas, I think, is is always is always a good sign. So for Scally to be able to go down there and recruit high caliber players um, is is something we expect from him, and he's delivered yep. yet again. So so some pretty cool storylines coming out of both of those uh, signees yesterday, Thursday, uh, and certainly good 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 momentum and a good trajectory for the two thousand that two thousand twenty two class needs really coming together, right? No, it, it really is. When you take a look at it, right, you've, it's still headlined by in-state legacy recruit Isaiah Moa. You know, he's a four-star kid, a, a talented a defensive lineman. And so, you know, you built your class there. You started it, you know, with him there. And then you've added, you know, a couple pieces here and a couple pieces there. You've got Nate Johnson and Brandon Rose, two quarterbacks, right, Tom? Like two quarterbacks in this class. Like that's a pretty big deal for the University of Utah, two talented quarterbacks at that. And so you've, you've got those guys, and now you have two receivers, um, you know, really going pretty heavy on offense so far with, with four guys on the offensive side compared to just two on the defensive side. But, 
you know, really it's, it's interesting because you look at the guys that they've brought in, right? So Nate Johnson, 10, five, 10, four in the 100 meter yard dash. That's, that's elite speed. Javelin Gidji ran a 10, three. So pretty impressive. You got uh, a Darius Hershaw who just committed Harsha. I think I keep saying Hershaw, but it's Harsha. Um, you know, 10, seven, 10, six type of a kid in the 100 meter yard. And then you've got Zion Steptoe, another 10, nine, uh, type of a kid. And then Utah is still recruiting a couple of other receivers that, you know, bring good speed to the field. One of which is in-state recruit Cody Hagan out of Corner Canyon. You know, he's another four-star talent. Utah's in the mix for him. Cody actually just officially announced his top four schools, which includes uh, BYU, USC, Stanford, and Utah. So, you know, Utah's in the mix with him, and Cody's a, a 10-5, 10-4, 100-meter um, dash guy as well. So, you know, it's it's interesting to see the class come together. I had somebody – you know, ask me is, does it seem like Utah's taking more commits earlier this season? Do you think it's a, a product of the transfer portal? And while I, I do think that it is, you know, part of that, I don't think it's as much about the transfer portal as it is a, about the fact that, you know, these are the guys that Utah wants and they're just the guys that they want, you know, they want to commit now instead of, you know, in November. Like the, the point that I made to my buddy is, you know, if we go back two years, if Clark Phillips wanted to commit in June, they gladly would have taken it in June, but he didn't, you know, he, he was committed to Ohio state at the time. Utah continued to recruit him. He was at the top of the board. The guys right now that they've got in their class, these are guys that are at or near the top of their class. These are guys that Utah wants and, you know, that's exciting. That to me is more impressive than anything else is that, you know, not only are they taking commitments earlier in the process, but they're getting the guys that they want, that they really want. You know, these aren't backup plans. These are top of the list type of type of talents. And so, you know, that's pretty exciting. And this is just going to continue to, you know, parlay into further, further recruiting momentum, right? Right. We've already started to seen it with we've already started to see it with with Nate Johnson and you see it on Instagram with some of the other rec- commits and, and all of that, you know, chiming in, commenting on posts and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the more commits you get, the more guys, more active recruiters you have, you know, with players in the class. And yeah. so it's just it's going to continue to build and it's it's pretty exciting to see it all come together right now. No, with, with that, I think Nate, John, I think Nate Johnson has been really impactful in the way Utah's been able to recruit. The hype that he's been able to generate just over the past month has been pretty extraordinary. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic did a piece on him that was pretty uh, pretty, pretty cool to, to read uh, and only helped Utah uh, in their recruiting efforts. And then uh, they're also the, they're recruiting a ton of guys with speed, Steve. And I think yeah. you know, if, you, if you look back, and you know this better than anybody, but you look back on – the recruiting classes since Utah's joined the Pac-12, I know as as a member of uh, the 2012 through 2015 seasons, where we were pretty good towards the end of that uh, stretch, you look at the guys that they had playing, just take the wide receivers, for example, some really talented receivers. Kenneth Scott, really good receiver, uh, but he, he never really had that speed. He was a taller guy, but he lacked some speed, uh, but he was certainly sufficient. Dress Anderson, for me, was probably the best receiver Utah had um, while I was playing back in the early days of the Pac-12, and and he was known for his speed. And now you look you're looking at a class and a, and a wide receiver group 
Jalen Dixon, Britton Covey, a handful of Theo Howard, a bunch of other guys that are um, Solomon Enos. You know, Solomon's a bigger guy, but he's also quite quick as well. You know, it's it's a, it's a it's a room now that offers a, a ton of speed and speed kills at the end of the day. And uh, I think we've seen uh, since Utah joined the Pac-12, just the evolution that the wide receiver room in particular has taken. Uh, at first, it was a, a group of guys that were solid. Um, that had really good hands that were reliable. And now you're looking at a, at, at a, at a group of, of players that are all of those things and, and also really quick and really fast. And that's dangerous for opposing teams to come up against. When you look at the, the best teams in the country, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, those sort of, those wide receivers are big and fast. Every single one, right. just about um outside of a few you know the, the Renfro kid back in the day from Clemson he wasn't the fastest guy but he was reliable it's okay to mix some of that into the equation but on the outside generally speaking you have big big game players that can make big plays in big games simply due to their size and their speed and right now Utah seems to be working towards creating something similar in that realm so I think that's that's awfully exciting if you are a fan of the University of Utah and want to see success. It also helps Charlie Brewer will likely be at the helm or Cam Rising, two very talented quarterbacks. It, all signs at this point seem to point towards Charlie Brewer. And so, yeah, look, I, I just believe that Utah is in a position at the minute, Steve, uh, where they will contend for a Pac-12 South title and another chance at, at reigning supreme in the Pac-12. Um, I, I see no reason as to why that can't be the case. The only thing, and I, I, I sound like a broken record, the only thing... Uh, that concerns me is is how Utah goes about running uh, their offense, uh, and if if they cannot get in the way of itself of themselves, they will do just fine. They will do just fine. But if they go back to running the football too frequently, they will they will waste a bunch of talent on the outside, uh, and their recruiting will likely uh, suffer because of it. Uh, so I just this is a massive year in my opinion. Uh, for the legacy of Kyle Whittingham and for the program uh, as a whole, you know, if Utah wants to take that next step, uh, which they've been poised to do now for, for some time, really since 2018, in my opinion, Utah is at a point uh, at a crossroads uh, in their history where they, they need to take that jump. They need to become a premier team, not just in the Pac-12, but in the country. And I believe, Steve, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, that this current group, has what it takes to accomplish that if they can figure out a way to not get in the way of themselves. That to me will be the biggest question mark. I, 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 I believe the talent is there. I believe the coaching staff is, uh, is, 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 is superb. Uh, I think the leadership and the depth at just about every position is uh, as good as it's ever been. Arguably it, it just offensively, they need to find a way to incorporate a healthy run pass um, uh, breakdown. They, you know, they can't rely on running the football every time it, it gets to third and short because it just becomes too one-dimensional. Um, so it'll be fascinating. I cannot wait for the first game of the season to roll around early in September against Weber State and then, of course, down there at BYU. I just I can't wait for it because I... I, I do believe this team is, is destined potentially to be really, really dangerous in the Pac-12 and across the entire college football platform. 
but there are still there are obviously still questions that remain unanswered, and uh, and I imagine sooner rather than later we will we will learn um, just how just how all that unfolds. But do you feel similar, Steve, in that sense? This is a really talented team uh, and could do a lot of really damaging things in 2021 to opposing uh, opposition. No, absolutely. I definitely think that this is this is a very good team. And, you know, in some ways this team is maybe better equipped than the 2019 team. Um, you know, in other ways, you know, Utah had bona fide studs, right? Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss. We don't have that on this team, right? Like we don't have, you know, we don't know what we have at quarterback to shit. We don't know what we have at running back to shit. But when you look at the rest of the bro- at the rest of the roster, I honestly, I love the depth that Utah has throughout the rest of the roster, right? I think the offensive line is, a, is in a better situation than it was that season. I think defensive line, linebacker, um, you know, is in really good shape. The secondary maybe isn't up to up to the same, you know, playing level that that 2019 secondary was where you had what one, two, three, four, all five guys playing in the NFL right now, you know, and, and, you know, Jalen Terrell, Julian Javelin and Josh nurse was, was in the NFL there as well. So, you know, maybe you don't have the secondary, uh, but you still like, you've got, you know, talented pieces there. Um, in the secondary, you've got some really good linebackers. You've got just incredible depth at, uh, through, throughout the defensive line, defensive tackle in particular. You know, you're loaded there. Utah was in great shape in 2019 there. But, um, you know, for me, I think the biggest difference, you know, as much as we want to talk about the impact that Charlie Brewer could have on this team, um, and I do think it, it could be a significant impact, and the same with Cameron Rising, right? Like, uh, he didn't win the job simply because Jake Bentley was a horrible quarterback. Like, Cameron Rising won the job, and, you know, it was not close. Um, the The biggest difference for me that I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, the, the biggest potential difference to me belongs to the offensive line. I'm fascinated to see – this offensive line, because I do think it's in a a better place than it was in 2019. You've got guys that have been, you know, working together for a couple of seasons. Now they have a lot of reps together. They have a lot of playing time together. You've got young, talented depth that has been in the program three, two, three, four years now. And so, you know, you weren't in that same kind of shape two years ago. Right. So I think, and I think this, I think the coaching staff has learned as well that, you know, you can't be solely dependent upon the running game. I think more than anything, you have to be multiple. You have to be versatile. You have to be able to do different things, you know, in different games. And I think the last couple of seasons has really shown them that, you know, you can't, uh, you can't do it just, you know, you can't just do it handing it off. To, to your running back 35 times a game and rely on the defense. You know, you, you, you need a quarterback that you, you trust to make plays out there. And when you have that, this offense is pretty good, right? Yeah. Tyler Huntley was one of the top quarterbacks in the country in 2019. And I think Utah is in a place right now with the top two contenders for the starting job in Brewer and Rising, where I think the coaching staff, regardless of who wins the job, 
they trust those guys. And I think that's, that's a big, big key, you know, and then talking about the pass catchers with receiver and tight end, I think Utah's in really good shape there. They've got some guys that can emerge this year. They've got some bona fide, you know, producers who we know what they're going to bring to the, to the table, you know, every week. Um, but then you've got, you know, some, some highly talented, high potential type of kids that could potentially make an impact this year. So, you know, I, it's, it's fascinating. And, and then you look at the rest of the PAC 12 and, you know, it's, it's pretty wide open, right? Like, um, so absolutely, Tom, I think that this Utah team, you know, is not only very good, but I think they have a very good shot at winning the PAC 12 championship. I've, I've been saying that I think Utah wins it this year. I've, submitted a you know a prediction for 24 7 sports for our national team that i i kind of expect you know you i i pick utah to win the pac-12 so you know i think this team is really good and um it's i'm fascinated more so than any other season just because i think this team is going to be really good and i still don't know a lot about it like does does that make sense right yeah you, yeah you know what i mean yeah no i 100 percent i uh I, I I hope, and this is just a hope, that I, I really hope Utah leans more on its leaders this year than it has done over other years. And what I'm getting at is I hope they allow Charlie Brewer to run the offense. That's that's what I really hope. Um, a lot of the time, and, and, and I don't know why this is the case, but Carl Whittingham's in charge of calling timeouts. That's his responsibility. And if anybody does it, they're frowned upon and they, they cop an earful for doing it. But I just don't understand. Like if Charlie Brewer wants to call a timeout because he doesn't like the look of a, of a defense late in a game when you've got two timeouts available, or, what, or even if you just have one, just he should be allowed to call a timeout in my opinion. Um, I, that's just me. I, I think as a as the leader, as the face of the football team, you should be responsible and maybe not responsible, but you should certainly be allowed to call a timeout when you seem fit um, or when it seems fit to do so. So uh, I also hope he, he he's allowed to ch- change the play at the line of scrimmage. I, I just don't understand. I've never understood. Like with a young quarterback, I can understand. And, and it makes sense because they're still learning. And there's still a ton that they're trying to process. And if you, if you throw more into the equation than what they could probably handle, it's probably not going to work out for you. But if you, if you give a seasoned veteran that's played many, many reps at the college level the ability to change and alter the play call when they believe it's the right thing to do, that they should be allowed to do that. And I think it makes for a more dangerous team. And you're not relying wholeheartedly on the call from the sideline. And and to further put an exclamation point on that that remark, Steve is that there are so many opposing teams that end up stealing play calls in today's day and age. There's no microphone in the helmet, so these play calls, unless you want your quarterback to run over to the sideline for every play to receive a play call, which just won't happen, you're potentially going to give the opposing team an idea as to what that play. Is and so to to, to allow, I, I really hope, and I don't think Charlie Brewer is going to be allowed to call timeouts. Just to put that out there, I think Carl Whittingham, for whatever reason, thinks that the best way to go about that is for he to control, and and so be it. But my word, if he doesn't have 
the ability to change a play court, the line of scrimmage based on what he sees from the defense, then I don't, I just don't see Utah taking that next step. And that's really sad. And it's kind of hard for me to say, but it's the truth. Um, and that's what I'm here to do. And, and I believe everything we've heard from Carl Whittingham and the leadership that Charlie Brewer brings and the experience and the expertise and all encompassing, he seems like the sort of player, in my opinion, that should be able to do that. I believe Tyler Huntley was allowed to do it towards the end of his career. I believe he was. I know Travis Wilson never really had that opportunity. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But for Utah to take the next step, in my, this is just my opinion, and, and you, Steve, and our listeners, you, you're more than welcome to believe otherwise, but I think a very important part of 2021 and the success that it could bring relies on um, the responsibility and leadership of the leaders of the team uh, from a playing standpoint, not just a coaching standpoint. I think the players, Charlie Brewer in particular, needs to have more of a responsibility than other quarterbacks that have gone before him at Utah as it relates directly to, to altering play calls and and just simply running the offense. What, what, what are your thoughts? Do you have any on on, on Charlie Brewer and the, and the sort of position he may be in this year? Well, no, I, I think that that's, I think your overarching point of just their, you know, of, of their needing to be more trust, you know, in your leaders. I think that's kind of the, the key here. And I think that's a product of, of something that comes from experience and something that comes from, you know, playing the amount of games and snaps that Charlie Brewer has, right? Like he's got 9,700 yards to his name. That's a lot. You don't just do that in one season. You don't do that in two seasons, right? Like that's a ton of experience to to rely on and to utilize. Like it's not just something that, you know, it's it's nice to have. You utilize that experience and and you trust Charlie Brewer to to make, you know, different adjustments, different calls to, you know, do, to do different things, to make plays, right? And I think that's kind of the that's what where I'm at with you, Tom. I think you know, the more that Whittingham trusts, you know, Charlie Brewer and, and Cameron Rising, you know, if he's the guy, I think that that's a very positive thing because they will have earned it. it you know, like Whittingham is not just, you know, he's not just going to trust it. If, if you, you have to earn it and if you earn it, it's a pretty big deal. So, you know, I think that that's a, a key factor, you know, for this season as well. It'll, it'll certainly be something that um, will be interesting to see and, and something to to kind of watch as the weeks unfold, but yeah, I think that Charlie Brewer with his experience, it's something that you you want to to not only rely on but utilize, and to you know allow him that freedom to to do those things. So you know, it's it's uh, so yeah, I, I'm 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 with you there, Tom. I think that you know the 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 trust that comes with that amount of playing experience, I think it's highly valuable, and I think it is often you know it can be the difference in a season like this. Yeah, I mean, look, I um, I really hate it when we get too stuck into like the statistical side of of the game. But Tyler Huntley achieved the three thousand yard mark once in his career, and it came in in two thousand and nineteen. Um, two thousand and seventeen, he had twenty four hundred yards, so he didn't he didn't really ever come close to the three thousand mark. Besides on on one occasion, and that was in 2019. Char- Charlie Brewer's done it on 
two occasions now. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, he, he went for 3,000 plus yards on both occasions. And so uh, he, he is a player that has proven that he can have success throwing the football. And he's done it over the span of 24 plus games, basically. So he, he is somebody that's experienced success throwing the football and running an offense to, to, to further um, to, f- to further exaggerate my point here. So, you know, by, by no means do I think he needs to call every play. I, I think that's Andy Ludwig's job. And I think there needs to be transparent communication between both Andy Ludwig and Charlie Brewer. But at the same time, I, I look, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if the play call, because you just like, let's just think about this literally for a split second. Okay. The play call comes from Andy Ludwig in the booth down. It travels down through the, uh, the airwaves into the headset of, uh, of whoever is in charge of kind of telling Charlie Brewer the play on the sideline. And then Charlie Brewer is informed of what the play is. By the time Andy Ludwig has made the suggestion of the play to the time it lands uh, at, at, at Charlie Brewer, the defense is, is not set by the time Andy Ludwig is making that play call. He makes the play call before he sees the defense. So I've never understood, Steve, when you have a seasoned veteran specifically, but even you can make the argument if, you, if you're playing a freshman at quarterback, you can even make this argument. Why would you rely wholeheartedly on a play call that was called prior to the defense being shown? And even then, Steve, even then it's a gamble because teams in today's era are so good at, at disguising defensive looks. Utah, under Morgan Scully and Kalani Satake, were known and are known to disguise looks. They'll send safeties into the box and look like they're crashing um, the backfield. And then the safety will drop into a cover two with press on the out. I mean, it happens every game Utah does it. And it's one of the reasons Jared Goff back in the day had such a difficult time trying to figure out what defense Utah was running. They ran cover two the entire game. I think it was 2015. College game day was in town. And Jared Goff, after the game, went out and sought after Morgan Scully to ask him what defense Utah was running because he could not figure it out. And so I just look, I just hope with every fiber of my body that that Carl Woodingham does the right thing and allows Charlie Brewer to alter play calls when the time is right. Because I just, I don't think Utah takes the next step if that, if that can't happen. I just don't. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And I hate to be the pessimist and the negative Nancy in the room, uh, but it will never make sense to me. So Charlie Brewer needs to run the show and be able to call a play or change a play if he believes it's the right thing to do for crying out loud. Well, so, yeah, I think with uh, with the play call, like you don't know what the defense is going to run until after the snap, right? Like, so regardless of, you know, when the, the, the play call comes in to Charlie, like you don't know until after the, the ball is snapped because like you said, Tom, like they're disguising looks, you know, they're providing a cover one look, but then they, they, they roll coverage into a, a, a cover two look. And so it's just, you don't know what you're, what you're facing until you actually snap the ball. Yes. Um, the thing, yes. 
the the thing with Charlie, I think, is so valuable, and and Cameron too. Like with with Rising as well. Like the ability, and I, I tweeted this out earlier this this week. But something you know, we talk a lot about you know how accurate a quarterback is, or how how strong his arm is, right? And yeah, that's a valuable you know asset. That's a very valuable asset for a quarterback. You know how accurate is he? Like that's that's super important. But something that we you know, rarely talk about is, is the ability for a quarterback to process information, right? Um, he, Quickly. he gets, yeah. And like seconds within seconds, you have to get a play call. You get to the line of scrimmage. You have to scan the defense within that. You've got to look at the defensive scheme. What look are they providing me? Okay. So it's a cover one off man coverage. I know I can go here with the ball if they roll it, you know, where can I go? You're thinking through these things. And this is the reason that reps are so valuable, right? Like this is why you rep things out throughout the week is because you're able to rep and visualize what the defense is going to, what the defense is going to be and what the defense is going to give up on a specific play. And so there's, there's going to be something that opens up. And I think the value with experience is you understand that, you know, not every defense can cover every single, you know, option on the field. And so with with experience, you'll be able to to scan the defense pre-snap, get an idea of where to go to the ball, go with the ball, you know, prior to the snap. And then you're doing the same thing immediately after the, the ball yeah. is snapped is you're looking at the defense and you're saying, okay, what are they doing? They're rolling coverage. They're sticking to their their cover one look. Okay, I know I can go here. These are this is something that's happening in seconds, right? It's incredible the amount of information that quarterbacks have to process. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's something that we as you know, media members, as fans, will never be able to fully appreciate because you know, we don't know the play calls, we don't know how it's being coached. But coaches, you know, they understand what these kids and what the quarterback specifically is is going through, maybe not going through, but how important it is, how valuable it is that he is able to, to process information. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's going to be important for Charlie Brewer to have the, uh, the ability to make adjustments, but I think more so it's the, you know, he's got to prove that he can make the right adjustments with, within the play structure and, 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 you know, proving that he can, you know, make the right decision based on what the defense allows. I think, you know, and not just Brewer, but, you know, any quarterback, right? Like you've got to be able to do that. That's, that's the key for me. Yeah, no, I 100% am on your side with that. But look, uh, to add to it, Steve, it's one thing for the quarterback to know, you know, where he can go with with the football. But if if a wide receiver has an option route where he can decide to run a post or or a go or a, a post and an in or whatever it is, the receiver also has to be on the same page because if, if the receiver runs a post and the quarterback thinks it was better right. suited to run the in, he's going to throw the in and likely find trouble um, at the hands of, of a, uh, an undercutting linebacker or a safety picking the ball off or at least getting close. So, so chemistry is and reps are, are vital, vital importance for the success of any football team. But going back to quickly – uh, your point, uh, you know, where a quarterback doesn't really know the, the, the defensive play until the ball snapped. That is that is certainly true. But at the same time, like Tom Brady, for example, and I get it, the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. So, so maybe this is an ask. 
this is a stretch, you know, trying to bring Tom Brady into the conversation while we're talking about Charlie Brewer, a rather heralded quarterback at the college level. But, like, Tom Brady knows most of the time, I would have to assume, what the defense is doing prior to the snap. Now, now there are going to be times where he's wrong, um, but I have to think with the success he's been able to have throughout his career, he, he can predict what the defense is doing, even if they don't line up in the look that they end up showing oh, sure. prior after the snap. I mean, Luke Keekley, right? If you remember the linebacker from uh, the Carolina Panthers, there were, there, I saw videos of him recently. Um, he knew the play call uh, 80% of the time before, before the play had even been snapped. Uh, really good players just have a knack and an ability to predict what the future holds. Um, and I'm not saying Charlie Brewer is of that caliber. He may be. He may be, but we haven't seen him play at the Utah, at the Pac-12 level or, or at the University of Utah. So, so but I'm not going to go, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell fans of the team that Charlie Brewer is going to be able to predict what, what defenses um, show prior to the snap, because that seems unreasonable. But I'm just basing my comments off what we've heard from the program and from Carl Whittingham thus far. And, and, and all they talk about is the leadership qualities that Charlie Brewer possesses and, uh, and the quarterback instinct uh, and his ability to run offenses. And so with all of that said, I have to assume that his instinct is, is pretty superior and his ability to uh, predict the future is better than I'm sure the majority of Utah quarterbacks that have come before him. So uh, I could be completely wrong. He may have absolutely no idea. And if that's the case, I hate to say it, he's not going to be as good as what they're making him out to be. He's just not. But if he is, then he'll be great. But they have to let him be great. And they have to give him the chance uh, to prove that that he can be one of the the more uh, perennial powerhouses that Utah's had at their disposal. But... It's all, I mean, it's all, it's all a guessing game at the end of the day. It's just some guess better than others, I, I, I guess. Well, I, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of film study that these quarterbacks like Tom Brady puts into this thing. Like, it's not that Tom Brady just rolls out there and you know, he's, he's predicting things. Like, he puts in a ton of hours studying yes. defenses, you know? And so I think, and that's something that Kyle Whittingham mentioned, you know, back in spring ball is that, you know, since Charlie has been here, He's been watching film like yeah. part of it is just watching film on the offense, you know, but also you're going to start watching film on defenses too. You're going to get a feel for, you know, what to expect, you know, this, this upcoming season. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, a big thing for Charlie Brewer uh, is that, you know, he's played against this USC defense, maybe not USC, you know, the athletes, but Todd Orlando was at Texas while he was at Baylor. And so, you know, Texas and, and USC recruit similar type of athletes. They get the four stars. They get the five stars. He's he's seen this Todd Orlando defense, you know, for multiple years. I think, in fact, they they were both in the Big 12 while the other one was there. So I think both – I think Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator at USC, uh, was at Texas between 2017 and 2019 – uh, Brewer obviously has been at, at, at Baylor since 2017 um, and, and until last season, right? So he's seen this USC defense. He's, he has experience against this, you know, USC defense. He, he knows what to expect. 
And so I think that that's, you know, that's a valuable asset for him, right? He's got experience against that, that defensive scheme. He, he kind of knows what to expect, but coming back to, to the point is, you know, he's, he puts in the work, he puts in the time studying film to be prepared. And yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's what makes, you know, the guys like Tom Brady, that's what makes them so good at what they do and being able to predict what defenses are going to do because they put in the time studying, like it's the littlest things that, that typically tip plays off, right? Like sometimes I was reading this, this article a couple weeks ago where, you know, an offensive lineman would tip things uh, because of where he would be on his hill. His hill would either be in the air a couple inches or it would be firmly in the ground and that was a telltale sign for the defense like okay it's run or pass if he's on his toes um it's a run if he's on his heels it's a pass and like defense is just keyed on that and it's little things like that that you you pick up which is crazy to me because you know i've watched film i've watched you know the all 22 film like it's hard to pick those things up but apparently like that's what these guys do you know so that's that's the amount of work that these guys put in. And, you know, so for me, again, it all comes back to just the amount of work that Charlie Brewer is willing to put into this Cameron rising too. the amount of work that he'll, he's willing to put into this thing to, to earn that trust. I think that's, that's, you know, it's always going to come back to that for me. It's got to put in that work, right? No, no, look, it's why coaches get paid the sort of money they Mm -hmm. do is because they sit in a room all day, every day and try and (laughs) rewind play. Yeah, Rewind, the smallest <laughs> and yep. smallest of details. And hopefully one day these athletes will be paid slightly more than they are and, and, and there'll be more uh, more reason for them to do the same, that they already do it. Look, to, to put a bow on, on this conversation in particular is I, I just hope, I really hope with everything that Carl Winningham can, can truly hand over the keys to the kingdom to Charlie Brewer because, because I think he's deserving of it. Uh, and I think he's shown that uh, over his illustrious college football career to date. Uh, he needs the king. To, he needs the keys to the kingdom for Utah to take that next step. Uh, and if they can do that swiftly and seemingly somewhat smoothly, then then without question, um, my heart tells me Utah football will win the Pac-12 title in 2021. But sadly, history would suggest that Utah will uh, will find a way to get in the way of themselves. And so until I see it, I, uh, I will not believe it. And I am so apologetic to all of the Utah fans out there that I've offended and upset by saying that. But it's just the truth. And they will result back or revolve back to a simple run handoff in between the A, a or B gap come third and short no matter the time left in the game, it's just what they've done. So listen, listen, Tom, me and you are great. We work well together because we're a yin and yang. I'm unapologetically a red goggle media member. I'm all about the A to B gap handoffs. Let's run it up there. Let's go win that championship, baby. Let's do this. Come on, Tom. What are you talking about? Stop. It's never this in the past. I shouldn't say that. Eventually it it will. (laughs) I guess. I guess. Maybe you're right. And I'm not. I I want. I hate. I hate being the pessimistic opinion on the show. I always want to think 
You could just be more positive than me and, you know, we can really do this thing. I know. I let us down, Steve. I, I'm always the one that has to bring up and be the bearer I know. of bad no, news. Yeah, no, you're good, Tom. But I'm a realist, and I've seen it now. On two, it's a trend. It's just the way it is. And so I, I, I cannot believe that Utah will truly hand the keys to the kingdom over to Charlie Brew until they actually do. And by that, I don't just mean throwing a quick slant or a quick out route on third and two. If they run the ball on third and two and have success with it, great. But I just, I, I also think they have to change it up a little bit so that come late in the season, when these games actually are starting to really mean something, they can keep defenders and def- defenses on their toes. That's it. Because it, against the Weber States, against the BYUs, against the San Diego States of the world, you can run it on third and two. But against Arizona State or USC or Oregon or Washington or some of these higher profile Pac-12 opponents, it just isn't going to work every time. And history has proven that. Utah is yet to win a Pac-12 title. And they've had teams good enough to do it. But they can't find a way to get over the hump. And I'm not saying... That, that running the ball on third and short is the reason they haven't won a title yet. But I think all encompassing a few areas need to be, need to be altered. And, uh, and the trust of the playing group needs to be, needs to be slightly higher in my opinion. Uh, and if that's the case, Utah's winning it this year. They have a team good enough, but ah, it's a fascinating conversation. And it's one yeah. uh, at some point in my career, Steve, or in our career, if we could ever, if we could ever get Utah and Carl Whittingham on the show to like go deep dive into the psychology behind it, or I would love it because it's fascinating. <laughs> it really yeah. is. It's so in- intriguing, uh, and there are so many statistics, and they they spend millions of dollars uh, working with analytical companies to try and decipher and determine the correct way to, to do things. I know BYU does the same thing. BYU will basically, and I don't know if Utah does this, but I know Utah has a book and the book will tell them, you know, based on where they are on the ground, on the field, how much time remaining, it'll tell them like what sort of plays to call that there's analytic analytical companies out there that charge a lot of money for uh, programs and universities to kind of feel, but I know, I know BYU does it. I know BYU before every single series, Steve has a number that they try and get to. And if they get to that number, it's fourth down territory. And it doesn't matter where they are on the field. They could be on their own five yard line. And, and if the number's eight or seven, if they, if it's third and three or two, They'll go for it because that's what the book says to do. It's just it it it's it's amazing how much money is spent on the statistical side of things. Um, when I played, for example, I know that that Carl Whittingham had a book that he did not have during games, but somebody up in the in the box did that would basically tell him if it was uh, if it was a punt, you know, if come fourth down, they were going to punt it, kick a field goal or go for it. There, there was a book that had who knows how many pages in it that told them what to do. 
So all of these fans critiquing Carl Whittingham or Kalani Sataki for going for it on fourth down when, you know, Steve in row Z of section 25, who's 10 beers into the whole thing, thinks they shouldn't. Let me tell you, there's an analytic company out there that's charged, the, that's charged the university $3 million a year telling them what to do. And by the way, they're as sober as a nun, I have to assume, <laughs> when they give these directions. It's just cool, cool your jets, will you, big Steve in row Z of section 26, will you? Bloody yeah. hell. So well, it's, I think it's crazy, the- man. Yeah, the analytics of of the sport has just it's blown up over the last, you know, five years. And now it's it's, you know, it's something that was never really talked about. It's always kind of had, you know, its place. But I think it's it's blown up in basketball. But now it's translated to football as well. And you're seeing it talked about more in the NFL. Um, But it's it's a valuable thing. (laughs) You know, the the analytics of football, right? like where and when to go for it. You know, and and all of it is trending towards you know going for it on fourth down, and and honestly, like if you're Utah, you've got an elite defense. Like it makes sense to be a little bit more aggressive on fourth down, and to to you know put your offense out there on fourth down and to go for it. Like so, it's it's fun, man. The analytics of of it all, like it's it's fun. It's helped Kyle Whittingham become a more aggressive decision maker, if anything, which you know we all love aggressive wit. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's certainly, it's, it's fun and, and it's interesting to get, um, it would be fun to listen to Whittingham talk about his decision-making process and kind of whatever, what all that, you know, goes, what he, what he's going through as he makes yeah. some of these decisions. But just like, um, just think about it quickly. Like if you're a quarterback and you know that you don't have to get 10 yards to continue the series you may only need five yards or six right. yards. You may only need four yards to, to at least go for it on fourth down. I mean, psych, like, like mentally, that must do wonders for any quarterback out there because all of a sudden there's less pressure to move the sticks on every single third down conversion. Every single right. third down conversion, there's less pressure that you have to get to whatever number you need to get to, to, to move the chain. So, well, it is, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And I hope one day we can, we can actually dive into it more and figure out what all of these teams are doing. I'm sure Utah's doing something similar to BYU. Uh, I'm sure BYU's doing something similar to USC. You know, I'm sure this thing runs deep into the college football oh, yeah. world, but but yeah, it is. It is quite fascinating, to say the least, to try and determine the the mentality and approach that these teams have. So it, it'll be cool. It'll be fun, and we're we're ticking down. We're inside of fifty days now, Steve, until Utah football opens their season against Weber State. So before we know it, before we know it, we'll be back and watching our beloved Utes compete for another Pac-12 title. Um, the the South End Zone. Before we get out of here, is uh, coming along. Uh, from all reports. Looking good. It looks good. And they're going to have a grand opening prior to the season starting. And I believe the public's invited, if I'm yes. not mistaken, Steve, you probably know Open more house. than I. So tell us what uh, what the latest is on the on the south end zone, the, uh, what is it called? The Ken Garf Performance Zone. Red Zone. The Ken red Garf zone. Red Zone is what it is. So 
the University of Utah announced earlier this week that they're going to have an open house um, uh, next month. I believe the date is August 21st. And you're going to be able, everybody, it's open, it's free to the public. You're going to be, we're going to be able to get in there, get a look at, you know, the, the new South End Zone, the structure, both outside, inside, the concourse, uh, players, coaches are all going to be there. And so, um, let's see here. So, yeah, so Saturday, August 21st, it's called the Welcome Back Open House. The event will be from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, so, just a, a pretty cool opportunity for youth fans to get out to the stadium. Um, I've, I've talked to a couple fans that aren't going to attend because they don't want to see the stadium until, you know, it's, it's game time. And I totally understand that. But if you're not one of those fans and you want to get a, your first look at the South end zone, because you're just too excited to see it, like this is a great opportunity to do so. So August 21st, 6 to 8 PM, I believe that's a Saturday. You can, you can head down to, to the uh, rice cycle stadium, um, and, and I, I do think you need tickets, but the tickets are free. You just have to go to utahutes.com and get your tickets, but pretty cool. Uh, I've seen pictures. We've all seen videos of it kind of coming along the progress that they've made. Um, really, really excited to think, to see this come, uh, to see this thing come to a close and you know, come to a finish and, uh, get this thing across the finish line. It's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous asset for the program, man, for sure. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm ecstatic to uh, just think about how loud and lively Rice Eccles Stadium will be now that uh, that South End Zone is enclosed. So it'll be it'll be cool to see. Hey, few a uh, few quick news and notes before we let everybody be uh, some 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 scheduling updates, some TV times and network selections were announced earlier this week. Here they are. So Weber State, the home game on September second, will be a five thirty. Mountain Time kickoff, all times in Mountain Time for that. Uh, Pac-12 Networks will be where you can find that game if you if you aren't going to the to the game at BYU the week after on September 11th will be 8:15 kick and that'll be on ESPN, which is kind of cool. Then the final non-conference game will be at San Diego State. That'll be a five o'clock kick and will be able to be watched on CBS Sports Network. And the only regular Pac-12 regular season game they've announced is. The game against Stanford up there in Northern California on November 5th. That's going to be an 8.30 kick uh, on, on FS1. So um, put those dates and times into your calendar, set an alert. Uh, and then the other thing quickly that, we, that I wanted to get to anyway was uh, uh, some locals in the NFL news, Steve, and that is that Saints – Safety Marcus Williams, former Utah great, uh, sadly was unable to reach a new deal. His rookie contract is over, uh, but the two parties were unable to reach a new deal. So he will be playing under the franchise tag for New Orleans this season. Uh, don't feel too sorry for him because the franchise tag still uh, still consists of a lot of money. Uh, I don't know exactly how much, Steve. I think it's, uh, I think it's about, it's, it's between 11 and 12 million all guaranteed. Yeah. So don't feel too sorry for, uh, our beloved friend, Marcus Williams. He'll be making a pretty penny in 2021 slash 22, but it's just a one year deal. So he'll be up for negotiation again following this season and hopefully can reach a long-term deal with 
New Orleans uh, to, to help solidify his legacy down there for the Saints. So, uh, Steve, look, we've, uh, I've taken, uh, we've taken far too much of your time. You're meant to be down in St. George enjoying the sizzling sun and the beautiful cut fairways. Um, best of luck, man, this weekend. When do you, so when do you return? Uh, we'll be back Sunday night. So we'll play around in the, in the morning and then we'll hit the road once we're done, basically. And that's that's the trip, man. Well, if it's anything like the golfing trip, I go on to Mesquite every year later in the fall. That road, that uh, trek back up to Salt Lake City is horrendous. Uh, your head <laughs> is banging and every bump in the ground is felt <laughs> tenfold more than it should. And uh, you can't wait to get home to your family and to uh, enjoy a salad. Uh, because, yeah, that, that mesquite trip is, is brutal. Salad man. is not what I'm going to be enjoying, but I get it. I get it. Yeah, just look after yourself down there, right? Stay, <laughs> uh, stay below the two monster thresholds, will you? And, uh, and yes, you'll, sir. Be, you'll be just fine. Now, in all seriousness, thank you for, thank you for, uh, for jumping on, spending a handful of time on, uh, on the podcast. When you didn't mean to, Steve, in the future... Uh, while it's all, while we're on the record still, if you're going down and we haven't recorded the podcast that week, just no. let me know. And we're, we can record, figure... we're recording the podcast. Tom. Ah, you're too nice. Well, you're nicer than I. I would have told you to figure <laughs> it out on your own and uh, we'll see you next week. But all right, Steve, in all seriousness, much love to you. Thank you for coming on. Nate Wade Subaru is a sponsor. Go check them out. 1207 South Main Street, of course. Steve can be found at sbartle247 or at utezone.com. And I'm Tom Hackett at Tom Can't Hackett or KSLSports.com. Until next week, we say so long. Goodbye. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.